Hi everyone, I'm JJ Hornblass and welcome to Fintech Unfiltered from Bank Innovation, the leading digital news service on banking and fintech. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in banking innovation for the week of July 20, 2020. Before beginning, I want to thank Bank Innovation advertisers, Abe.ai, Mambu and Info Group for their support. So thank you very much to them. And I am joined by Rick Morgan from the Bank Innovation team. Hi, Rick. Hey, Drew. It is Friday, July 24, 2020. Uh, probably the most interesting earnings report uh, of this past week for the second quarter earnings, it seems from a bank innovation standpoint was U.S. Bank um, with uh, digital adoption uh, among its customers hit a high of, uh, for the institution of 77%, 77% of its customers during the second quarter used, um, uh, of its active customers used, used digital channels, uh, which was a 5% quarter over quarter increase. Uh, so the CEO said about this, uh, quote, we expect digital adoption by customers to stick even after the economy is fully reopened. So, so first of all, let's talk about just kind of the driver of this digital adoption uh, hitting 77%. Um, and then secondly, Rick, uh, I mean, likely is it that the CEO's uh, prognosis will come true, uh, meaning that the adoption will stick even after the economy fully reopens? Yeah, uh, so it's interesting to look at U.S. Bank, um, given a lot of the new sort of like tech initiatives that they've um, that they've really launched. They, they're involved heavily with a company called Personetics. Um, which is a conversational AI company that, that does a lot of their chatbot capabilities. Um, they just recently launched, launched voice chatbot capabilities um, as well as text. Um, and they also do a lot of um, loan automation processes through Blend that helps them a lot as well. So they're working with a lot of people to automate and digitize as many processes as possible. So I guess it's not terribly surprising that their digital adoption hit that high given all the all the initiatives that they're undertaking. Um, in terms of you know, uh, whether or not it's true that this will stick, uh, a lot of people have been saying that in general about this digital adoption that we're seeing with um, the coronavirus pandemic forcing people to use digital channels. We just covered a Forrester report this week that said that the effects could last the better part of a decade and beyond. I mean, um, as people migrate to these digital channels, they get used to it, they realize that it's convenient, and they start to wonder, why was I ever driving to the branch to begin with? Um, people that might not have ever done that before. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the US bank numbers, which were reported by our colleague, Vyadik Trevetti, uh, were pretty interesting. The fact that they hit that record high um, is, is really pretty, pretty relevant, given the fact that they have been taking these initiatives, like with Personetics and with Blend, and they just launched some new uh, voice chatbot capabilities, and it'll be interesting to see if that takes it even further. I guess the question I would ask uh, in response to that, then, Rick, is what about the other 33%? So if you've got 
adoption moving higher, uh, five points higher, I, I think we can probably agree that, I, I mean, you know, yes, they've added certain uh, features, functionality yeah. uh, through other uh, service providers and so on. Uh, but at least some of it has to be coming from the pandemic. Uh, oh yeah, I think for sure. So, so what about the other 33% who are also uh, quarantined and haven't, and you know, they don't, you know, why the, you know, you could look, this is a glass half full glass. Sure, half, yeah. And dynamic, why? Right? So why is it so, even higher? Yeah. 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 So, so what, what, what's your sense uh, from there? I mean, like, What's the hesitancy, I guess? Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see like a more granular look at these numbers, I think, to really answer that question, just because 33%, I mean, it'd be interesting to look at, are the 33% of customers that are not going through digital channels, are they only doing, you know, high dollar value transactions? Are they people that, you know, um, are doing like very important uh, for their small business, things that are complicated that they might uh, not, not trust to do online or they might have questions and they don't wanna to talk to a customer service agent on the phone, they wanna sit down with their own personal banker. Um, I, I don't know exactly what the 33% is coming from, um, mm -hmm. but I have to imagine that it's mostly people that don't trust doing something over the digital channel just because it's um not a simple process i would imagine or something that's so important to their livelihood is whether a small business or um or a household or what have you that they just don't trust doing it through an app or through a, uh, a call center uh, they want to sit down with probably the person that they know at the bank that's worked with them before um, and that's what they feel comfortable doing and i again if we had a more granular look at here's what those 33 percent of um, transactions are uh, that would be interesting to look at and it's hard to say which um, why the number is not even higher you're right because it feels at this point uh, I can't imagine what would be causing a customer to go to the bank to you know deposit a check at this point you know or, or whatever right you got to be pretty determined or pretty, pretty uncomfortable uh, yeah. with uh, with digital solutions to, uh, to, you know, to not uh, use them or to, to go to the branch or whatever during a pandemic. Yeah, I mean, you have to be more uncomfortable with doing that than with exposing yourself to a bunch of strangers at a bank branch, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it'll be, in, it, I, I can't imagine that it's 33% of people that are just that stubborn about it. I have to imagine that there's some reason that they've, someone felt it was important enough to go to the bank branch. Yeah, so we saw, well, maybe, I guess based on this uh, data from uh, is it uh, Cytel Group, mm -hmm. uh, maybe um, maybe the technology is not good enough. Uh, there was uh, an interesting survey that came out uh, on uh, the degree to which consumers view banks as being most innovative in technology, um, and and that uh, that number. Uh, plummeted uh, compared to they did the survey. Maybe give us first some details on sure. that. Yeah, so it was a survey. Um, it was two sort of uh, comparing and contrasting, contrasting two separate surveys. One was in March and one was in May. Um, and so the pre the March one was really uh, 
sort of pre-coronavirus uh, for the most part. And it asked consumers, which industry do you think is the most innovative when it comes to using new technology? Uh, and the other categories were, I think, travel and healthcare, retail, telecommunications, um, obviously financial services, and there was a couple others, but uh, financial services was actually in the lead before the coronavirus pandemic, believe it or not. It was at like 27% of all respondents thought that banking had the most innovative technology. Uh, and that dropped to 16% post-pandemic, or you know, during the pandemic, during the, the May interview. Um, whereas retail did the exact opposite. Retail was in second place at like 17% and skyrocketed up to 27%, or 16 to 27% or something along those lines. Basically mm -hmm. took the lead and sort of flip-flopped with financial services. Um, and the study just talked about basically how banking uh, didn't do as good of a job capitalizing on, you know, what consumers were looking for during the pandemic, whereas retail had, you know, click to collect, uh, probably a lot more delivery functions, um, you know, uh, a lot more online ordering, things like that. And for whatever reason, um, banking did not really have as quick of a, a reaction maybe to this. Um, and it, it might, you know, I was like, I was thinking about the numbers and it might not even necessarily be that financial services did anything wrong. Um, it's just that if the question is, which do you think uses the most, it makes the best use of technology, maybe retail just did such a better job that like they were bound to, you know, make a jump in financial services. Was bound to right. Or, or maybe, or maybe during, you know, during the pandemic period um, where needs were different. Um, and they were, and consumers were forced to use different applications mm -hmm. or different uh, uh, services uh, that they, it, it kind of, you know, they, um, it, it revealed or it showed those consumers that, you know, maybe this isn't that good. Yeah, maybe if you're forced to use online banking all the time, you started to realize that, oh, the, maybe, yeah, exactly like you're saying, oh, maybe the mobile check function isn't as smooth as I thought it was, or maybe uh, getting a hold of an agent or, you know, using this chatbot, it's, it's not as uh, conversational as I, I would have liked. Uh, right. I never really had to use it before and now I do and it's not that great. Right. Um, so it, it's hard to say which one it is specifically. And, um, uh, you know, obviously there was a lot of headlines about um, the, the SBA's, you know, eTrans portal being backed up and that's not necessarily fair to pin on banks, but it's still a headline that your average consumer might see that and be like, oh man, banks can't get it together. Uh, right, uh, that's true. So it's it could just be perceptions of things too, uh, who knows. Yeah, I mean, going to a, so he, let's talk about uh, Radius Bank. Um, you had a very interesting conversation this week uh, with Chris Tremont over at Radius. Mm -hmm. um, and and I guess what's interesting is is juxtaposing it to the Seidel Group uh, data is you know here is a bank that has uh, particularly pursued a digital roadmap. It's also in the middle of a uh, for for the banking industry a, a relatively high profile um, acquisition by uh, Lending Club, which has mm -hmm. yet to close. We're not going to deal with that issue right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, but you did get. Um, some really interesting insights into Radius's um, digital roadmap. Um, so, kind of at a high level, you know, what what has been their their kind of uh, trajectory um, uh, for for a, a digital centric strategy? 
Yeah, it was pretty interesting because Radius is a name that's well known um, as sort of a, a digital bank, but like a true digital bank. You know, they have a charter, et cetera. They, they used to be a community bank. They've kind of um, gone from being this uh, Boston-based community bank to being a nation, nationwide footprint digital bank. Um, and they've also been the back-end banking service provider for a lot of fintechs like Brex, North One, uh, Stack, and a few other big names. Um, so they've really kind of transformed themselves. And we just sat down and chatted about, you know, how that happened, because it's obviously not something that happens overnight. Um, and it's obviously not something that's easy or else everyone would do it. Um, and he basically laid out how in about 2016, they decided, okay, they, they'd done some digital initiatives before they had, you know, online banking in 2008, they'd done some deals with, uh, or some, some partnerships with some fintechs in 2013, 2014. But in 2016, 2017, Chris said they really sort of like nailed down, uh, sat down and really like hammered out their strategy. Uh, and they, they basically decided that shutting down their whole core and like revamping it was going to be too much to do. So they started to work with um, a variety of different vendors to basically keep everything running, but totally revamp all their technology functions. So they worked with mm -hmm. Treasury Prime to upgrade their APIs. Um, they worked with Mantle to upgrade their digital account opening. Uh, they worked with Alloy to do a lot of online KYC, AML. Uh, they worked with a company called NARMI to totally revamp their UX functions. So uh, in, I guess the, the best way to put it would be it takes a village, um, but they kind of brought in all these different players that they liked to, um, to really build around their core and create a much more um, digital friendly bank that could not only handle consumer facing digital functions, but also handle uh, uh, partnerships that they wanted to part power as well as uh, small business banking. So uh, it took a long time and they, you said it was a better part of three years um, before they really kind of got it off the ground. And to be frank, he said, you know, it's I'm going even today. Like it's still something they're obviously working on. Is there, did you get a sense for which of those vendors was most significant to their progress? Like, it, you know, if there was one that was excluded, it really would have been problematic. I think tre from, from my understanding, Treasury Prime and Mantle were like the two big ones that they really needed to use to get off the ground. Um, Treasury Prime's like the, having a more seamless use of APIs for this type of bank is obviously crucial to both connect with um, uh, FinTech partners that they want to power the backend banking services and also to, to onboard other FinTechs that they need to just make their own digital banking better. Uh, that's not going to work if you can't, you know, play nice with others, so to speak. And so mm -hmm. uh, Treasury Prime also does a lot of the, I think Chris called it like money movement and plumbing. Um, so a lot of that back end stuff that uh, that wouldn't otherwise happen. So that was the first one he mentioned and the one we spent a great deal of time talking about. So I think mm -hmm. Treasury Prime was what really kicked all of it off for them and made the other things possible. And Mantle, obviously, for any kind of digital bank being able to open an account easily without going into a branch is, you know, you, you got to crawl before you can walk and do anything else essentially. So, uh, so Mantle, I think was also probably pretty crucial to their, their overhaul. I, I mean, uh, if they ever get this lending club deal closed, I, I would think that, uh, which uh, I don't know if they, I mean, you know, to have a deal announced in February, right before, 
yeah, the pandemic changed. It all, it all came down. That that seems that seems tough. But but I would think that if that deal closed, I would also think that Treasury Prime will be a, a crucial element to you know for their integration. How much easier is it to integrate using APIs than to sort of rebuild technology and so on? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it'll be interesting. I don't, he, you know, Chris couldn't talk about it too much. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. You know what brand do they use? Do they say Lending Club? Do they stay Radius? Do they make a new name? But who knows? Um, and to be fair, they did say it was going to take between twelve and fifteen months. So it's not like um, at the time, which was February. So it's they still have quite a bit of time to to close the deal, and it's not um, it's not abnormal that we haven't heard any major developments on that front yet. But um, yeah, I think definitely whatever this new brand is going to be that they they end up launching is going to have to. Uh, seamlessly integrate with a lot of new tech players because obviously they'll be using lending clubs, technology vendors, and Radius's technology vendors. And uh, there's just going to be a lot more people at the table and having those seamless API integrations is going to be pretty important. Good. So uh, what are we working on for next week, Rick? Uh, we, the bank innovation team is working on a, a bunch of different things. Um, we're looking at uh, facial recognition technology. Um, and how banking can avoid some of the same pitfalls that uh, other agencies uh, and other other groups have run into, such as you know law enforcement has obviously hit a lot of pitfalls and uh, come under a lot of scrutiny for their use of facial recognition technology, um, and obviously government agencies as well. So we'll be looking at what banking can do to sort of avoid um, some of the same problems that other people have run into, and we're also going to be looking at. Um, how banks and financial institutions are, are using technology to appeal to uh, consumers' conscience. So it'll be an interesting, um, an interesting week to to keep an eye on what we have coming down the coming down the chute. All right, thanks, thanks, Rick. Um, I want to remind everyone that Bank Innovation Build it will be taking place uh, in September. You could check out bankinnovationbuild.com to learn more. That's the uh, virtual conference uh, that we'll be holding uh, that uh, explores best practices in innovation operations at uh, financial services companies. And uh, please uh, be sure to rate FinTech Unfiltered wherever you listen to your podcasts. And uh, let us know what you think. Uh, you can email us at info at bankinnovation.net. We'd love to hear from you. We'd also love you, love for you to uh, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn, and, and of course, uh, visit us online at bankinnovation.net. Thanks, uh, Rick, and thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, until next time, keep it unfiltered.